we're looking at John chapter 8. My focus this morning is only on one verse, but I want to kind of give you some background, some context, if you will, regarding what we're talking about. There are portions of Scripture that you've got to be very careful with and study them, you know, adequately to understand what's going on. Verse 31, verse 30 says, as he spake these words, many believed on him. Then verse 31, then said Jesus to those Jews, which believed on him. There are times in Scripture in which the Bible does not make a distinction between a belief that accepts certain things as being true and a belief that we would call saving faith. What determines which is which is the context and the narrative of the passage. If it says somebody believed and you say, well, I wonder if they were just kind of you know, nodding in agreement, they, they bought into what he was saying, or is this genuine saving faith? To get your answer to that question, almost always the answer is keep reading. Because what the Bible prescribes as being the, the arbiter of whose belief is true and whose is not is simply faith, is fruit. Anybody can say they believe Jesus, and anybody can say they believe in Jesus. You would be in the company of people like Pope Francis, the president of the Mormon Church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You would be in the company of Jehovah's Witnesses. You would be in the company of plenty of people that are Christian-ish. But that does not mean that they have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross and in the tomb. So what determines whether or not these Jews simply bought into some of what Jesus was saying or they truly believed in him as their Messiah? As you read through the passage, you find out They bought into some of the things he was saying, but as he started hitting them with difficult truth, they fell away. They were not true believers unto faith, unto salvation. You see them saying things that mock his mother. You see them saying things like, we're Abraham's seed. You can tell they're still putting their faith and trust in their religious and ethnic heritage and not in the soon-to-be-finished work of Jesus Christ. So when it says they believed, what it means is they heard some of the things he was saying, they liked what they heard, but it did not bring them to the level of saving faith. We run into that a lot in church, don't we? People that make professions, but then you watch the rest of their life, and there's nothing to suggest that that profession had any depth to it at all. What are fruits? Well, you got the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and all that. But I'll tell you another fruit that you watch out for is chastening. And if a man can say, according to Hebrews, if a man can say that he has trusted Christ and then he lives like the devil and never sees any chastening in his life, he's not saved. See? Now, I don't say that to make anybody doubt their salvation. If you're here today and you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you know the fruit's there. You know you can't get away with doing wrong. You know the Holy Spirit works you over. My intent is not to make everybody, well, I wonder if I'm really saved. But it's important to understand that the crowd we're dealing with here are not true believers. They're people that are antagonistic to the gospel. It's important that we understand that. 
Because once we understand that, we understand what Jesus says later when he throws on its ear this idea that we're all God's children. Friend, hear me now. We are all God's creation, but we are not all God's children. Because Jesus makes it very clear to this group, religious though they may have been, probably very moral people. He says to them in verse number 44, ye are of your father, the devil. Now, I've preached some hard messages, but I can't think of one time I pointed my finger in somebody's face and said, you're the devil's kid. I don't believe I've ever called any of y'all whited sepulchers and vipers, unwashed dishes, or half-washed dishes more accurately, like I tend to do. So if I preach a little hard, you're not getting it nearly as hard as if Jesus was preaching this. Remember that. But the Lord brought me back to this thought, and the last time we even talked about it was like in 2019. This isn't the same message per se, but there's a lot of things you're going to recognize, but it bears repeating. It's where the Lord brought me. I'm going to, I'm going to trust him with it. In verse 44, Jesus says this. You of your father the devil and the lust of your father ye will do. Understand this, sinners sin. We look at people and we say, I just don't understand how they can live like that, how they can do that, how they can think that way. If they have not been regenerated and have not been indwelt by the Holy Ghost of God, they have no choice but to live sinful lives because that's what sinners do. Right. I tell you, that crowd in California, they're crazy. They're just what we would be if we didn't have Jesus. You know? This is the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. The devil is incapable of knowingly speaking the truth. The only time he ever brushes up against the truth is when he accuses me before God and says, I'm a scoundrel. He's, he's right whether he meant to be or not. Apart from Jesus, I am. But he's not capable of telling the truth. If you hear from the devil, just mark it down, bank on it, he's lying to you. And he's very good at it. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. Watch this. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. He's a liar and the father of it. Who told the first lie in all of eternity? Satan did. Where did he do it? This is the crazy thing. The first lie took place in heaven. Five times in the book of Isaiah, we see Satan, then Lucifer, 
say, I will. Culminating in, I will be like the most high. Hey, Lucifer, you just told a lie and you told it to yourself. You're not going to be like the most high. And you can't stay here. Satan and a third of the angels were cast out over a lie. And he's been lying ever since. Now, here's my burden. Not only is he good at it, he's never stopped. And he keeps telling the same lies over and over and over. And you know why? Because people keep believing them. People keep believing them. It's like in football. If you've got a play that's working and they can't stop it, you keep running it. Hey, tech fans, do y'all remember when y'all in Virginia used to have some football plays we could run that were successful? Y'all remember back in those days? Because neither one of us doing so great right now, are we? But you got certain teams that the coach could walk to the other sideline, look at the coach and say, we're going to run this play and you can't stop it. And they wouldn't. Larry Bird was famous for that. I love Larry Bird. Larry Bird was a trash talker, but he could back it up. Larry Bird's the one that walked in the the locker room before the three-point contest and looked around and said, I'm just looking to see who's playing for second. I like Larry Bird. Basketball players, I don't want to hear about LeBron. I don't want to hear about Steph and Clay and all them. Go look up Larry Bird. You want to learn how to play basketball. Larry Bird walked over to the visitor's the visitor's bench and told them what he was going to do. And he did it. Because it worked. Satan could rent out space in every newspaper and tell everybody, I'm a liar, I'm a liar, and he would still be effective because he's so good at it. And not only does Satan project it, the Bible clearly says he's a liar. And yet people all over this world, even people that name the name of Jesus Christ, continue to buy into his lies. Now, he's got a bunch of them. Let's talk about some of them. Here's one. We're all here because a cosmic accident happened billions of years ago. And, and over time, everything fell into place, and, and now here we are. That's a lie. And yet the majority of the world believes it. Here's one. There is no God. And if there is, whatever divinity is there is in you. That's a lie. God is everywhere. God's in the trees. Now, he is transcendent, and he is everywhere in in that regard. But that tree is not God. That's a lie. But those aren't the lies we're talking about this morning. Most Christians recognize those lies. I'm talking about lies that even Christians are buying into. 
I want to speak to you for a few minutes this morning on Satan's three most dangerous lies. Some of you will recognize some of these, but we, we need to look at it again. I'm going through a season, not because I'm not studying. I'm studying plenty, but God's bringing me back to some familiar themes that I think we need to look at again. Yeah, the social media message is coming up soon. We need to look at that again. And some of you, you've done so poorly on Facebook, you've decided to try your hand at Instagram. No, we need to talk about this, okay? Father, would you help us? to recognize these lies, to flee from them, and to live according to your truth. Help me to preach this in the way that most pleases you. Of course, in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Satan's three most dangerous lies. Oh, you've heard this one. Ready? Follow your heart. I jokingly say that to Brother Davies all the time. He'll text me or call me and say, what do you think we ought to do? And I tell him, just follow your heart. And he shakes his head. But the reality of it is, friend, that's terrible advice. Just, just follow your heart. If you've watched any Disney movie at all, you've come across some princess that has told you to follow your heart. Hey, can I tell you something? If your dad tells you don't go to shore because you're a mermaid and you don't belong up there, listen to you, Dad. Because when you don't, then your, your mean sister turns her into some kind of shrimp and ultimately takes your crown, and the only way to get rid of her is to run a boat into her, her stomach. <laughs> the little mermaid tells us, don't follow your heart. You know. Mowgli was way better off in the jungle, but what happened when he got to the edge of the water and saw that girl with the pot? He followed his heart, and he lost out on Baloo and Bagheera and King Louis. He followed his heart. I'm joking, of course. But there is a strong, strong tendency, even within churches, to teach people to follow that little voice. I got news for you, beloved. That little voice voice may not be the Lord. It may be a seared conscience, and it may even be the devil. Follow your heart. But it just feels right. Everything just feels right. Proverbs 16.25, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of what? Death. We got an election coming up. When you step into that voting booth, do not follow your heart and do not vote in the way that seems right. Ask your creator God, who do you want me to vote for? Because sometimes I don't know. Every once in a blue moon, I'm pretty informed, but sometimes I'll walk in and there'll be some, some, something that I didn't realize was even on the ballot. I don't know what to do with it. 
And they frown upon you looking next door and going, what are you doing? You know, they, they don't want you to do that. Follow your heart. And yet Jeremiah tells us that your heart and my heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You can't even know your heart. My heart misleads me all the time. Y'all, we say it tongue-in-cheek, but I'm telling you, every pastor in America has felt this way. We come out of a Sunday service that we thought was going to be this this slam-bang, wonderful barn burner, knock the roof off the place time, and it wasn't. And we go to our office, and we start looking in the mirror, saying that I'm the problem. I'm the one that needs to get out of the way. God could do something with somebody else. I feel like maybe it's time. And if you follow your heart, you can mess up a lot of people. It'll mislead you. All the ways of love. I've told you about the girl who I grew up with. She was a friend of mine. And she finally found the man of her dream. She said, God saved him just for me. And I'm so excited. And as soon as his wife leaves him, we're going to be together. I don't know what your heart's telling you, but the word of God's telling you that's wrong. Don't follow your heart, friends. Follow the word. And yet Satan is putting this lie on If you ever hear me give you counsel that says, what does your heart tell you to do? I'm probably going to follow that up with, do the opposite. It's a dangerous lie. Here's another one. God's holding out on you. Go to Genesis chapter 3, would you? He started out with this one. God's holding out on you. You remember in Numbers 24, while you're turning there, do you remember when, when Balak, the king, hired Balaam, a prophet of sorts, to curse Israel? And Balaam tried. He sure wanted to because there was some money in it for him. He was a false prophet. He was not a man of God, but, but he, he wanted to, and God wouldn't let him. He kept blessing him. In fact, what he ended up doing was advising Balak, okay, I can't curse him, but here's what you do. Send your women in there. Integrate with them. Infiltrate them, and that'll take them down, and it did. But the last time that, that, that Balaam tried to curse Israel, and he couldn't. Listen to what Balak said. Therefore now flee thou to thy place. I thought to promote thee unto great honor, but lo, the Lord hath kept thee back from honor. And that's exactly what the devil loves to whisper in the ears of God's people. You could have had it all, but God kept you back. God's taking things away from you. Because of God, you can't have her. Because of God, you can't have him. Because of God, you can't have that job. Because of God, you can't have that money. Because of God, you can't have that car. Because of God, you can't have that lake house. Because of God, you can't have that popularity. Because of God, you can't have that, 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 uh, that power and authority. It's God's fault. God's holding out on you. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. 
Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the servant, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. What's he saying? God's holding out on you, Eve. He knows if you eat of that tree, you'll know what he knows. He's holding out on you. We've seen it, and listen, let me be clear. You don't have to go to Granite Christian Academy to be right with God. There are plenty of options that godly parents have for their kids, okay? And there's even kids that are in public schools that love the Lord, that are serving Him, that are seeking to be a light and salt in that, in that community. I get all of that. Brother Davies has seen it. I've seen it. Parents that put their kid in a dangerous position for one reason, so their kids can experience the things that they can't get here. Now, I'm not saying these experiences are inherently bad. It's not wrong to play football. But usually it's not just about football. It's about all the other things that they get to do that are rites of passage. Because here's what I want my kid to do, Brother Davies. I want my kid to, I want my daughter to wear something that frankly is immodest. And I want to put her in a dark room with a, with a hormonal boy and I want to press them together in the midst of all kinds of ungodly music with chaperones that really aren't paying attention. And I want to create all kinds of appetites and problems for them because everybody ought to go to prom. Preacher, that's not fair. I've had too many parents come to me later because their kids are out in the world living like the devil wanting to know where did we go wrong. I'll tell you where you went wrong. You took all these rites of passages and all these things that every kid should get to experience and you elevated them above, oh, I don't know, being in church. You created something because you didn't want them to miss out on things. I know very well I stand to lose people over this, but I'm done patsying around this stuff. I will not be held accountable before God for not being a watchman on the wall. We've sacrificed too many kids. Let me tell you, the number one idolatrous situation in this country is sports. Kids don't darken the door of a church for months because of travel ball. I got news for you, friends. Your kid's probably not going pro. They're not getting the money. And some of us, it's because us parents are trying to live vicariously through them. 
We didn't get to do it. We want to live through them. And so we're going to make sure that our kids get that experience so that we can see it through their eyes. What a selfish thing. But God's holding out on you. What? You're going to wait until the marriage altar to be with your loved one? It doesn't have to be that way. Don't you want to try things out? God's holding out on you. There's some music you won't allow in your life. God's holding out on you. Don't you know how wonderful it is to enjoy all the addictive substances this world has to offer, and you can't? God's holding out on you. I'm not trying to make enemies. I don't, I don't care what your political view is on it. Marijuana is no good for a Christian. Tobacco is no good for a Christian. Alcohol is no good for a Christian. I'm sorry, but it's not useful. But God's holding out on you. And we glorify these testimonies of, I was in the pit of sin and God brought me out. I'm thankful God brought you out, but I want my children to be able to say, God kept me from all of that. My husband's the only one I've ever known. My wife's the only one I've ever known. I've never touched this stuff. I've never had it in my body. I wish that I could say that my life was everything it should be when I entered into adulthood, but I can't. And it makes me want to fight for my kids all the harder. Because I don't want them to have the scars that you get when you think God is holding out on you. The devil's a liar, and I'm calling him on it. Let me give you one more verse. Psalm 84, 11. Hear this and hear it well. The Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. He's not holding out on you. He's protecting you. He's watching over you. Well, I let my kids make their own decisions. That's foolish. I let my kids play in the yard. If they get too close to the road, they get hit by a truck, they'll learn. No, they'll die. Now, there comes a point our kids make their own decisions. But until that point comes, I'm that dad. God's holding out on you. By the way, we focus on kids on that. There's a whole lot of parents that are living a life they ought not live because they think God's holding out on them too. I just want to live life to the fullest. I want to suck all the marrow out of life that there is. I'd like to remind you that bone marrow is not always clean. Satan's three most dangerous lies. Follow your heart. God is holding out on you. Here's the last one. And I think this one's probably the most dangerous of them all. There's still time. Turn to James chapter 4, will you?
The Holy Spirit starts knocking at your heart's door. You're not saved and you know it. And and churches all over America are filled with people that are religious and moral and upstanding and righteous as far as man can be righteous. But they're not saved. And again, I am not at all trying to preach doubt into anybody's heart. If there's been a time that you've honestly put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're saved and you're going to heaven. I'm not trying to preach doubt into your heart, but I'm telling you there are people that this is a religious exercise. I hope it's not true here, but this is a religious exercise. We go to church because we're good Americans. Good conservative Americans go to church on Sunday morning. By the way, good liberal Americans often do as well. And we worship together, and we hear the Bible, and we sing the hymns, and then we go home, and we've done our duty to God and to country. We're good people. And the Holy Spirit starts speaking to you, saying, that's not enough. Your righteousness, friend, my righteousness is as filthy rags. We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace through faith, and your works don't get it done, friend. Maybe there's somebody sitting here today, I don't know. Maybe you're sitting here today, you're watching online, and the Holy Spirit right now is telling you, you are not saved. But then the devil sweeps in. That's okay. That's that's a big decision. You want to make sure and take enough time to really consider it. There's plenty of time. You're young yet. Let's load up in a bus and go to West End Cemetery. And I will show you the gravestones of hundreds of people that thought they had more time. There's still time. Maybe you're saved, you're on your way to heaven, but God has been working on you about something in your life. Maybe there's something that needs to go away, something that needs to come in, a a decision that needs to be made, something that you need to let go of, something you need to give over to God. But, 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 there's still time. Young people especially have to face this because we just, we think we're going to last forever. There's still time. Listen to me, folks. It was just yesterday. I was in my 20s. My whole life ahead of me. Gone. And that's what James says in James 4, verse 13. Go to now, ye that say today or tomorrow. We will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. It's gone. The Bible says if you're not saved, now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. I heard something, and I didn't believe it first time I heard it. The devil does not mind if you get saved. He's okay with that. 
No, he wants you in hell. No, he doesn't mind if you get saved. Just get saved tomorrow. He doesn't mind if you get right with God either. Just do it later. The devil's not trying to control what we do. He's trying to control when we do it. And the devil is fine with every one of us getting right with God, if need be, getting saved, getting caught up in the throes of revival and taking this nation by storm. He's fine with all of that as long as we do it later. Because there's still time. So sow your wild oats. Enjoy it all. And then when you're older and you're starting to contemplate your mortality, then make those decisions. Except car accidents don't give you time to contemplate your mortality. Massive heart attacks don't give you time to contemplate your mortality. The rapture won't give you the time to contemplate eternity. And yet, the devil keeps running the same play, and nobody can stop him. So what? Don't follow your heart. Follow the word of God. The devil will tell you that God is holding out on you. I am telling you this from personal experience, which is not nearly as reliable as the word of God, but if it helps, it helps. Every time I ever crossed a line and got away from God, every time I came to regret it. Every time. Still do. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Well, if I'm right with God, i got to give this up. I can't go there. I can't do this. And if you're right with God, you won't miss it. Okay, you're right, Andy. I'm not saved, but I I can't make that commitment today. I'll I'll give some time. You may not have it. I'm saved, and I know I need to get this right. I know I need to get before God and get things right with my holy God, or I'm going to have regret after regret after regret, but I'm just not there yet. And I am telling you, God loves you so much, he may decide... You're not going any further. I'm stopping this right now. You're out of time. First John talks about a sin unto death. You're just trying to scare us. You ought to be scared. There's a sin unto death. And God says, I love you too much to let you keep hurting yourself and others and my, my cause. You're out of time. The devil's a liar. Stop believing him. And live in such a way that declares to everybody who knows, I believe God. 
Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Did you catch that? God's way isn't the best way. Jesus said, I am the way. He's the truth. And he's the only place you'll have life.